Hello and welcome to a Sunday edition of Las Blancas podcast. I'm your host, Om Marvin, and I am joined by Grant Little. And we are here to break down Real Madrid Femino 1, Sporting Club 1. A disappointing result, I think it's fair to say, against a mid-table side where, you know, we have to respect them. I think they were 11th place coming into this game or after the result. So not a terrible team by any means. But if you want to make those Champions League spots with only six games remaining now, these are the places where we absolutely have to pick up three points. And we just did not. And maybe the worst thing about that is that I don't even feel like we deserve the three points necessarily. I don't feel like we were robbed. I think Sporting Huelva played really well. There are lots of chances on both sides and split about 50-50 if we were to imagine maybe what the XG might be. And yeah, that's the disappointing thing. And that's kind of the main thing we're going to talk about why that was the case. Some of it down to our own struggles, some of it down to how well Sporting Huelva played. In particular, Mayra Ramirez of Sporting Huelva had an incredible game. But before that, we'll do the usual thing where Grant just takes us through some key results, the state of the league table and all that. Yeah, and just before that, I wanted to mention that Huelva actually was in a really good run of form. They had beaten Sevilla 4-2. They drew Levante 2-2. They beat Espanyol 2-1, and now they have this result against us. So, yes, they are a mid-level team, and yes, this does sting, but they were also a team that was has really found their footing and has been performing well as of late. But like we said, that does not take the sting out of it because – a lot of our rivals dropped points again this weekend, and we weren't really able to take advantage of it. Atletico Madrid lost again, and they look like they are firmly out of the chase for these top positions. Granadilla lost, and Madrid CFF were absolutely destroyed by Deportivo Abanca 3-0. Levante beat Sevilla 2-1. So right now we've got Barca in their own champions top of the table up by like 14 points Levante in second place having played 28 games with 61 points third place Real Madrid with 58 points having played 28 games then in fourth place we have Real Sociedad who had their game postponed this weekend so they have a game in hand with 51 points yeah so finally the league table may be starting to take shape a little bit I think this was a good opportunity for us to further solidify that there is a clear top three. But after this, we also see that I have an opportunity to close the gap to four and essentially make it the top four and everyone else. Because as Grant kind of outlined, Granadilla, Madrid, CFF, Atletico Madrid, at this point, it feels very difficult for them to get back into contention for the Champions League spots. So that's very disappointing, right? Like to give Real Sociedad a chance with seven games to play for them, it's, it's absolutely possible. We, we know what can happen in that span of time. So huge opportunity. It wouldn't have mathematically secured us, but if we'd won today, I think that would have made us really, really confident and just it would have made the math very difficult for Real Sociedad. This just gives them a shot, which, again, we don't want to do, right? We want to control our own destiny as much as possible. Right, and, and we will have a chance to control that destiny because – on June 6th or the weekend of June 6th, we do play Real Sociedad at home. So that'll be a huge, huge, huge match. And then sandwich, that game is sandwiched in between two matches for Real Sociedad against Atletico Madrid. And then they get to play Barcelona after they play us. So maybe that game of in hand isn't as important considering you could count that as Barca and there's 
probably a, not a really good chance they'll win that. But still, that game on the weekend of June 6th is going to be a big one. It will be. And just to give, I guess, context about our recent run of forms, where we had four games since the international break, including this one, only one win, draw versus Real Betis, loss versus Madrid CFF in the Copa de la Reina. We defeated Madrid CFF in the league, right? So getting back on track. And then the 1-1 draw here against Sporting Glova. So just stuttering out of the international break a little bit. Out of gas, it seems, in, in some legs for us. And let's just dive in, I guess, because I'm already kind of getting there, into why we, we struggled today. And it, and it did feel, again, right, like some of the players we'd normally expect to not give the ball away, to be clean in possession, to, to be sharp in all their actions weren't. Not much rotation. It was basically the same 11 versus Madrid CFF. The main change was Claudia Florentino in for Ivana Andres, if I'm correct, if I'm remembering properly. And otherwise, it was just the same thing, right? So Marta Cora there out on the left wing. Sofia Jakobsen is a striker. Aslani is the number 10. Olga Carmona is a left back. Were you surprised by that, Grant? Were you pleased? I mean, we, we all know at this point how we feel about Marta Cora there as a left wing. Yeah, obviously, Ivana Andres was a huge miss being suspended for yellow card accumulation. So we kind of knew how the back line would line up. And I mean, I think this played out exactly the way that I thought that it might in the last podcast, but didn't necessarily want it to with us sticking with this 4-2-3-1 kind of formation. And, you know, our right back is our left winger when we have Chioma and Ariana Arias and Lorena Navarro all on the bench. I, I don't, we can't say too much more about it. It's just baffling. Um, but I, I was hoping that he'd go with a 4-3-3 as I usually do. But, you know, that win against Madrid CFF proved the point to Osnar that this might be the way to go with. And I think that we might be stuck with this for the rest of the season. I... <sighs> I mean, I don't know. We'll probably talk about the Marta Cora there thing more, but it by no means is something we're forced into, right? Like the left-back situation, understand, but you literally have Olga Carmona there. If you want to play them both on the flank, put Olga up. We have Chioma in the squad. I don't understand what's been the case with Chioma all season. I know she's had injury issues, but she's been available plenty of times and just hasn't been used. And I'm not really sure what's going on there. She's a good player. Right. And would, she came back from injury and immediately scored. And I don't think we've seen her since. I don't know. I, I don't know if I can really buy that. She's like not working hard in training or anything. Like maybe that's the case, but no indication about whatsoever. Everything we know about her is she's a great professional. She, she's a player that can make a difference for us. I, I understand that she can't be a starter given who we have on the wings, but in situations like this, where Marta Cordero is the one, it, it doesn't make sense to me. I, I really am at a loss at the decision-making behind what's going on here. Doesn't make sense to me at all. And again, if you don't want Chioma, if you don't like her, fine. Olga Carmona is there, right? Like easily one of the best wingers in the league. I, I don't get it. I really do not get it. And it's quite puzzling and it's becoming quite unforgivable. At, at this point, right? I'm I'm kind of losing my patience. Like I've been fairly critical of Osnar throughout the season, but personally, I think I've I've tried to to give him as much benefit of the doubt as possible. 
we know, and, and this is all I'll say about it, but we know there's some politics and team selection and stuff that he doesn't control, but you know, he, he doesn't, it took her, took him like until what, like the, was it the 80th minute to sub core there off, right? That's something he's in control. Like it's really frustrating. And I don't think it's defensible. I, I understand like there could be results oriented bias here, right? Like, so we won two nil core there like earlier on and one time she played left wing. I think she ended up scoring, but it's just so obvious when you're watching. Right. And this is where it gets tough for me because I don't want to shit all over Cora there. I know like on social media, like people just like absolutely wail on her, but I don't know what she's supposed to do when, when a right back is playing in a left wing slot, right. As an attacker, if you watch her today, she was trying to do the right thing. She was actually occupying the right areas. She was trying to initiate combinations from inside. She's just, that's not her thing, right? Like she is a right back who sticks to the touchline and makes her impact there. That is what she does. She's not a player who comes inside, plays combinations, can measure passes, has that like extremely clean first touch when she's turning into pressure, trying to turn out of it. And that's the thing with Cora there. The season is you can point to things where, oh, she did that nice action, right? Like today she had a really nice cross, ironically coming in from the right wing. She was, she was in, involved in the goal. I think she was probably the least important player in that goal, but she was involved. I think she had a nice switch of play once cutting inside, but it's the efficiency of those actions. It's backed up by the statistics at the halfway point of the season. I did an article about it. And it's also, I, you, can, you can count it up when you're watching, right? I went back in this game, like it's 50-50 with her, right? And the amount of time she gave the ball away or lost possession that launched a counter against a very good counterattack inside, at least on the day, it hurt us a lot. Like there were, there were giveaways that came directly from her foot that could have resulted in sporting scoring. And given our finishing on the day, like we could have lost because of this decision. And I don't get it like anymore. And I, I don't think any excuses can be made for it at this point. There are, uh, there are other options and that it's not being used. And this is what's like, I'm, I'm baffled. Like I'm aghast. Like I, I don't really get what what's going on and i'm i'm run i'm like running out of any kind of like counter arguments and playing devil's advocate it's just it's dumb and it has to stop and you know we continue to do this for whatever reason like well i think we'll still probably qualify but we're we're not doing what we can do to give us the strongest chance of of qualifying which is criminal that yeah i i spent way too much time talking about it but i had to get it off my chest because it's I, I don't wake up 6 a.m. to watch Corridor play at left wing. Like, that's that's like a purely selfish reason, but I'm sorry. Like, I didn't sleep like four hours and wake up. I know, Grant, you like didn't sleep at all last night to wake up and, and watch that. Like, and again, I no hate to Corridor for me whatsoever because I know she can be a very useful player in her actual position. Uh, this is all over Osnar and the decision makers at the club for making this happen because. One, two games, even three games, I can let it go. This is too much, man. Yeah, and the thing is, for me, is once again, I'll state that this is nothing to do with Corridera. The fact that she has played in her natural position like once this season is a testament to her service to the club. But her being in that left winger position affects that entire side of the pitch and maybe just the organization as a whole. Because yes, she tries to occupy the right spaces, but she doesn't have that understanding of the movement or where to go, when to give and go, and these kind of things where you see her and Sophia kind of like 
just get in each other's way or her and Olga Carmona getting in each other's way. And it really stunts our buildup down the left, which is something that we have relied on, over relied on in the first half of the season when it was Olga Carmona and Sophia Jakobsen. And now we're struggling to create down the left flank. We've struggled all season to go through the middle. And our only chance on the right is Kenty Crosses and Cardona Magic. So it's really a situation of where are the goals going to come from if we can't operate down this left-hand side because it's, it's broken right now because we have the wrong piece in the wrong position. Yeah, I don't think there's much more to say about that. We can touch back on Corridor's performance as we discuss the game. So again, we go out in a 4-2-3-1, which was predictable given that we won. Like it's, it's just how it's been this season, right? Kind of like a very results-oriented view. Like the process doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how we got to that point and whether it's replicable and whether the system was actually the one that caused, right, that result. Like was there causation and will that causation apply against the opponents that we're going to face moving forward? It, Again, like I, I, I feel like maybe, maybe like I, I sound crazy here because I have been critical, but I feel like I've been trying to give the benefit of the doubt this season. Like, nah, just trying to hold back. But we're a long way in with the big sample size, and I don't see a process-oriented view of things here. And I think that's evident with with some of these selections, and especially the four-two-three-one here, and. That you you can't delink this from the tactics, right? Because in isolation, there's nothing wrong with the four two three one. Discussed over and over again, the build up issues. I'm not gonna go into that in detail again. So what I was looking for, as I always do when we when we set up this formation, we have a double pivot. Are the opposition gonna press? And I, I haven't watched Sporting Club this season. They're not a team I, I pay attention to, to be quite honest. So I had no idea what they were going to do. Very early on, it's clear that they came in with the game plan, right? It, Teams have mostly scouted it at this point. If Real Madrid's coming at you with the double pivot, it's an obvious game plan, right? You're just press out of your normal 4-4-2 defensive structure. So we'll go, we're being a little conservative here. So they weren't committing a central midfielder when Maite dropped. And they were just kind of trying to use the front two, which was Yoko Tanaka and Danieli, to, to just kind of shift over, block off Maite kind of like move the ball to the wing, right? Press that way and just keep an extra central midfielder. And I don't think they quite did it at the level that Madrid CFF did in the Copa de la Reina. So it's not like it was perfect. And we can discuss why there were so many chances in this game. But it it was good enough to cause tons of turnovers in that first half. Claudia Florentino, who we like both you and I, Grant, I think it's fair to say we like her ability on the ball. We've seen her make a couple of mistakes this season, but today it was a really bad game for her. I can't mince words. It was like three or four horrible turnovers in that first half that led to really, really dangerous opportunities. It's just one of those days for when you have a ball playing center back, especially one that likes to carry out of defense, there will be one game like this every season. And it was today. And yeah, she just got eaten alive by that press. She wasn't making the right decisions. Her touch wasn't on point. And that's where like the risk reward scenario is there, right? Like when you're so good at it, you need, it, it's, it has immense value for a center back to do that, to be that kind of player in possession. But when they're off, it can really, really hurt you. And we were extremely lucky not to concede from some of those like giveaways there. And 
Yeah, so that I have more to say, obviously, because their press kind of links to our offense and, and, and everything. But that was what was going on once again versus our, our double pivot. And, you know, Aslani was dropping a little bit, but not as much as versus Madrid CFF. It wasn't, she, I guess she didn't have that feeling today that we're like, she was like, yeah, I need to go that deep. I need to be that extra central midfielder all the time. It was, she was a little bit higher up. And I thought she played quite well when she got on the ball, but maybe we could have used that again today because, because like, yeah, I mean, we were, we were really getting hurt by the press. We could have maybe used another option, but then again, right. Sporting well, but we're not committing that other central midfielder. So they did tech, theoretically have like that midfield line to kind of cope with Aslani if she was dropping and maybe she kind of read the situation. She was like, it's not going to work. Yeah. And to your point about their press, I, I think they did press well, but like you said, it was nowhere near perfect. And what we saw is what we see in every game. For some reason, the first 10 minutes, we are sloppy. It's like, we don't understand that we've kicked off for the first 10 minutes of the game. We see a lot of these giveaways. I think, um, I think that Claudia actually had two within the first 10 minutes and you think, okay, we'll clean this up. But as the game progressed, I think we made their press look a lot better than it was because a lot of the passes, the touches, the just awareness spatially of when someone's coming at you and how quickly you need to get that pass off just was not there today. Once again, you see Maite, you see Claudia Florentino, you see Kenty just bombing balls, giving some giveaways. Um, Sophia Jakobsen's touch in the final third was really rough today. And if she had a better touch, I think that we maybe have a goal or two more. Um, it just looked like the team was off. And it's concerning because this is the time of the season. It's the business end of the season where you need to be on because this is when, you know, teams are fighting to stay out of relegation when teams are fighting to stay in champions league qualification. Um, and it's concerning that we haven't seen that level of improvement. You know, we usually talk about this lull that comes after the international break, but it's been weeks. It's the fourth game. I think you said, and we have regressed in my opinion, rather than improved. Almost everything I say on this podcast at this point just feels like a repeat because the issues are just the same and the ways we solve them are the same. So I've probably framed it in this way like five other times, but I don't remember. So I think I'm framing it in kind of a new way. Great teams, or at least every single great team I've seen in the modern era. So let's say like 2015 onwards, though I think you could, you can even go back, right? They did it differently, but I think it still existed. And they did it in a different tactical environment, but I still think it was the case. Every great modern team controlled play, right, on their terms. The only one that's maybe the exception to the rule is you could say Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool, which kind of thrived off like 50-50s and stuff. But even then, I think that's an exaggeration, right? Like that was more against particular opponents like Manchester City. Like otherwise, if you look at their possession figures, it was a very different way that it wasn't Juego de Posicion, but they were controlling games, right? And they could beat pressing and it, they, they didn't necessarily let every game devolve into a track meet. And if they did, it was on their terms, but most modern teams won't even go there, right? Like there's no devolving it into a track meet on, on our terms. It's, we will not let you unsettle our rhythm out of possession generally against most teams, right? 
and we will establish control of the game. This is something we cannot do with this team, especially from the 4-2-3-1. Again, for reasons I've described before that I won't get into now because you've heard it a million different times, but we cannot do it. And when you're wondering why is a game like this, right? Why does it feel so end-to-end? You first, to, to be able to answer that, you need to be able to look at a game and say, okay, so what is, what, what are like the, the team mechanics or collective mechanics or maybe some individual components that are affecting that, right? So it could be a defensive strategy and then it could be like the way a team's building up. So we already discussed the press, right? So a press is trying to instigate that. 12 of absolutely want a, a ping pong game because that to a certain extent, neutralizes superior individual quality and, and it makes it, it put it swings variance wider, right? So it could swing towards them. That's what you want to do versus a bigger team. So what was our buildup versus that? We mentioned there were lots of giveaways, but so much of it was just long into the channels, right? And here's where I think if you want to back Osnar, you can see it in his way because we created plenty of chances from this type of strategy. Like I went at least through the first half and just counted up all of our good chances. And bar one that came from a set piece and the goal itself, like I think, I think I'm talking about four shots here. They were all from like just goal kick. One of them came from a goal kick from Sporting Cuelva, 50-50s win the ball, launch a transition attack. And then the others coming from our build-up play or goal kick where we launch a ball into midfield. 50-50s, don't know who's going to win it. We win it. We launch an attack. And that's when Aslani, some of her best touches came. Cardona looked really good in those moments. And we probably could have scored a goal, especially on, on one of them where Cardona had a good shot and she sent it wide, which is a bit, a bit of a surprise. That was maybe our best chance of the game, actually, even better than the goal, just given like the location and, and how much more centered it was to goal. So there were some offensive benefits. We actually like never played clean through that press like on the ground. Like that's just not something we did. So we created offensively that way. But if you're to look at how much we conceded, it either came from those types of moments, right? Or an inability, like to not having the structure to be able to play on the ground. That's where like Corderas, you know, giveaways come in come into the equation and stuff. And the fact that we're just launching these like quick transition, chaotic, organized. Uh, sorry, chaotic disorganized attacks, right? After 50-50s means that like we're in no position to counter press, right? If it's just transition versus transition, players don't have the time to be like, all right, I'm going to position myself here. I'm going to position myself in relation to the player. It's just go, 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 go. And if you don't convert, right, or win a set piece off your transition play, the other team's going to come at you in transition. You're not even set up to reorganize yourself defensively, forget counter press. So, I think you look at this from a defensive perspective more than anything, because it probably like, yeah, I mean, we, we can always, that's when I, that's what, when I talk about, when I say like neutralizing the quality a little bit, swinging variants, right. It'll ensure there are chances for both sides, especially against sporting Cueva who have quality players in transition, like Mayra Ramirez, you have to think about the game in terms of like controlling and getting consistent results over time, you have to think about, okay, how do I like prevent the opposition from, from getting at us at all? And that's where the skill then comes, right? Like the importance of being able to break down deep blocks and having that kind of positional player, pseudo positional play system comes into play 
honestly, first and foremost from defense, right? Because it, it kills that environment and that's what allows you to dominate, right? It, it, that, that positional play, which I'm not saying we need to do, right? Like we, we, we don't need to go that sophisticated in that far. Most coaches don't, but just using it as, a, as an example, positional play almost first arises from a need to cut out the transitions as much as possible, right? And because you're doing that and because you're slowing down play, oh, then I need to position my players in these places to pull defenses apart, right? Like it's harder, but it allows you to gain a better level of control and cut out a lot of those transitions. And then you're just limiting them to counterattacks, which are going to occur anyway in a pinball game. In addition to like you just giving up the ball and giving them like counters as opposed to like, you know, like doing in the final third or putting a cross in the box or something like that, right? So this is something that we struggle to do. Like, and it is a big tactical problem. You can't tell me, I mean, you might, okay, you could point out to some performances today. You can point out some versus Madrid CFF, but across the entire season, you can't tell me that we don't have the players to do this, especially in the Premier Berdrola. And then when you look at player mistakes, consider the options that they had, right? Do they have time and space created by structural superiority, by pinning defenders, by opening up spaces? Or is it just constantly they need to make difficult decisions requiring difficult technical skill to be able to, to, to exit from buildup and then progress? Like, think, think about, like, I, I, just, I just saying that to, like, to have, like, listeners to chew on, but just think about that and then think about what we're doing within the system. And to me, at least, it's pretty clear, right? So this to me is a big problem in terms of taking the next step, right? If we're, if we're going to play in the Champions League this way, we're going to get destroyed. And I'm not like I'm expecting us, oh, we need to go to the semifinals next season, but we should put up a good fight, right? Like we, we should absolutely look to be competitive in the initial rounds uh, or a group stage if they happen to institute that, which I'm not up to date with. Like we, we have the capability to do that, and that should be an objective for us next season should we qualify, but we'll get destroyed if we have no capacity to control games because teams will just press us and, and oh, panic channel ball, right? Like Chelsea, Bayern Munich, like teams worse than them will just eat us alive if we play that way. And you have teams in Premier Iberdrola beating us because we're playing that way and, you know, drawing with us. And it just seems like, especially when we play this double pivot, if you press us, if you make the game, if you kind of nudge us to make the game attract me, you have a chance at getting a result for, versus us, which makes me very uncomfortable because all the great teams in history, or sorry, in modern history, right, in this modern tactical environment have been able to control games and, and make, especially against weaker teams, make the game occur on their terms, which at the very least gives them a high defensive floor. And I don't feel like we have that at all. And I don't know what else to say besides the fact that I, 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 you'd need a better coach. I said, I spoke for like 10 minutes there just to come to that point. But uh, yeah, I mean, conciseness has never been my thing. So yeah. And I think to your point about all of that is a lot of the times it doesn't even look like we're trying for solutions. It's like the ball goes to the center back. The ball goes to Kenti or the ball goes to Olga. There's still options in the midfield. There's midfielders showing. We could go back to a center back. We could go back to Misa. Instead, we just bomb it to the channels. And this whole idea of this formation, the 4-2-3-1, for Real Madrid is really about one thing, and it's getting Aslani in her best position. 
And when Aslani was able to get the ball today, she had some bright moments, especially in the first half. But she was barely able to get on the ball. And in that point, why are we even using this formation? Because we could play with three central midfielders, make it a lot easier to do this kind of play, to be able to have Teresa and Maite, who are the two best at really being able to find solutions and rotate through the midfield. If, if we're just going to go wide and booted upfield, I don't even know why this is the formation we're electing because it just doesn't make sense at all to me. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre. And, and maybe, maybe this is just my bias coming through, right? And, you know, I don't even know if I can deny it, right? Like, we all have our ways of viewing the game. I, I just feel very strongly about it. But I feel like you need some kind of organized possession structured system. Like, it just has to exist. For, for a top side that has top level ambitions. And, you know, you can even look at like the quote unquote more laxed managers, right? Like you, we can point at Zidane and be like, oh, well, you know, he doesn't. Yeah, I mean, he's not a JDP coach, but guess what? He has moments where it looks like he's imitating uh, positional play elements because that's just where we are at the game, right? And honestly, the, the one thing you can never criticize him for, well, I don't know about never, but like 95% of the time is like, we have the ability to control the ball, right? Sometimes we almost have too much control, right? Like that, that's, that's honestly the issue most big teams face, right? It's like, okay, we've got the ball. We've got lateral possession play. Oh, now, now how do we create chances, right? Like now that, that's, that's the most difficult thing. We're not even there yet, right? Like we're still at the place where how do we establish control against teams that contest us like this? And the only solution so far has just to been keep adding more players in midfield, which is not horrible but again one we don't have the midfield squad depth for that and it's it limits us so much right because oh what we can just never use 4-2-3-1 and we can never use a slotting in our best position that that's where tactics come into play right and i think people mix it up formations are not really tactic not in the modern sense right maybe 15 to 20 years ago just putting out a formation that just kind of like fits the, the player tendencies right it, it matches really well Right. And, and, and players just kind of work within that and, it, and, and, and fluid things happen. But because of how you've like set up all your players, they work off each other really nicely. Tactics have evolved beyond that. Right. Like now it's about, oh, how am I going to manipulate and position all of my players within each phase? Right. Regardless of formation or in relation to formation to be able to make things happen. And again, like there's nothing in a 4-2-3. It's arbitrary, right? You can move players around to manipulate that structure to create a better build-up system and get overloads in the field. Now, the players you choose affects that a little bit, right? But we've seen, we saw Aslani drop off so much versus Madrid CFF and that helped us. Why can't we do that in a structured way, right? Like make it easier on her, right? Like pull someone away, like pull another midfielder into the half space, right? pin the back line so no one can step up to Aslani and have her then drop up when we open a lane so she can receive defeat. She's one versus one and she can, and then she can use her superior individual quality to make something happen instead of just dropping off into, you know, like some random space where there's two defenders behind her and she has to do so much to get us up field. Like that's, that's what I'm talking about when I, when I talk about tactics, right? Tactics is, is more granular at this point in time then maybe some people realize, or, or then it was 10 to 20 years ago, we're in a different place. And so, yeah, I mean, so I, I, I guess I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm just going well, off on like, rants, I think, but 
I think that this is kind of your point, and we can use that that example of Aslani is why in one game is she so much better able to do this to drop deep? And we talked about her really taking to that game and understanding that she was needed to to take the team to the next level. All of our tactics seem like they aren't tactics, and they're all individual decisions. There's not an actual outline game plan or a plan A, plan B about how to move, how to space, and how to move through midfield or from the back. It's all based on the fluid movement of what the players are recognizing, which they should be able to recognize some things, but the team needs to be on the same page with the tactics. Yeah, that was actually a pretty good way of explaining it and like literally like a hundred times shorter than uh, what I was going on about. So yeah, I we can go over individual sequences. Obviously, we have yet to go over the goal, but there were so many to me that for like today, like I don't even know if there's necessarily a point of being like, okay, here's what happened on this chance. Here's what happened. There were just so many. And like, at least I, I attempted to like describe the, the trend that led to a lot of them just to add Misa superb in every single action except one, right? Like she was coming off her line to, to protect us in, in transition moments, made number of one versus one saves which really should have been goals and maybe the finish and touch could have been better but she made good saves the one moment where she was kind of caught out is when like a a, a ball was played in behind bobet peter just loses the player behind her and misa comes out and and fouls like i forgot who it was was it danielli who was who was the player running in behind i think it was myra she kind of cut in front of Babs and then like came around the backside and it looked like Babbitt was going to shield her off, but just kind of pulled up. And then it put Misa in this difficult position where she had to put in a challenge. Yeah. And so I think it was outside the box. It replays weren't necessarily amazing, but it did look like it was just outside. Misa got the yellow card. And as Americans like to say, at least ball, don't lie. Penalty went off the post and we, we, I mean, we got massively lucky there, right? Uh, in, in like the split second decision with no VAR, like I can see referees calling that a penalty. Like, so that's kind of reflective of like the type of end to end atmosphere I was talking about, and how it nearly cost us in that first half. Ramirez, but I thought she was absolutely spectacular. She might have been the best player on the day. You said she was the player that won that penalty. We've gotten past the point of wondering where Olga was, def- it, whether she's a defensive liability or not. But Maida, she skinned her one versus one multiple times, and she just couldn't be handled. Right, her skill and, and speed one versus one was something, but she's also big. She looked bigger than everyone else on, out on that flank that came over to try to stop her. She just shrugged them off, and then you combine that with her skill and her speed, she was an absolute nightmare in transition, like lone ball carrying actions and runs that just ripped through us. And it's really unfortunate that she did not get a goal contribution. I think she ended up missing a one versus one, which is kind of on her because the initial touch was bad, but she was really, really good. And if you were to say someone deserved a goal today, I think she deserved it more than anyone else. Really, really impressed. Yeah, it, it, it was a really good performance. If I wasn't a Madrid fan, I wasn't so pissed that we drew. I would have had a lot of fun this game because she played really, really well. And she just popped out to me instantly. I was like, like, who is this? Like she, she's playing like, like she's like Martha Cardona now or something. Uh, so I don't know if someone's listening right now and they've watched Sporting Huelva and they know, they probably know a lot more about Premier Verdola than me. And they're just like, this guy doesn't know, right? She's been really good all season. I don't know. Maybe that's the case. All I know is today 
she played like her life depended on it and uh she could have won the game for for sporting love uh honesty um i don't know if you were that high on her but uh yeah it was it was a really really good performance from an opposition player I thought she was having a really good match. And then in the second half, she made that run where she absolutely tossed Olga and Martha Cardona. And I was like, oh, my Lord, not only does she have the size, but she knows how to use her size intelligently to beat players. And she she tore us apart all game. And honestly, I'm upset about the draw. I'm upset about the way we played. Sporting Huelva outplayed us in this match, and they're probably upset that they didn't get all three points because with that performance and the amount of chances that they had from the rest of the team, you would expect them to to get two goals out of this, especially having scored eight goals in their last four matches. So we've talked about a lot here. We've even gone into the second half. So I suppose at this point, we should probably get to our, our goal, right? Yeah, yeah, we could do, we could do that. <laughs> it was about the the only really quality possession that we had all game. I feel like it was in the forty second minute, and we recycle possession around the midfield line. Kasi goes through the center channel, passes to Sophia Jakobsen, who's making a run. She plays a quick pass to Coradera, who first times it right back into the path of Sophia Jakobsen, squares it. Olga's there puts it in off the post and you know it looked like it looked like we were escaping that first half because we really did not play well enough to be up but here we are this is the individual quality we talked about and Olga made no mistake this was like we won but at like what cost type of thing with Cordero being involved and Sofia doing a really good job actually as the center forward in that play and like Osnar just probably nodding after that, like, see, I genius big brain move right there. Uh, in, in all seriousness, Sophia was really good here, doing what she doesn't usually do, which was staying like on the center backs, pinning them, receiving, right? Because we were switching play, the defensive line was shifting over, the, the lane to Sophia was open. She receives basically like with her back to, to, to goal like uh, almost kind of like a hold up play situation. Then she turns it to link play by turning to the left flank, playing it over. And then it goes how you were kind of talking about fantastic finish from Olga, like a really smart run in that situation to recognize which space was open because Sophia makes the right decision with the channel run. Then there's space in the box for a cutback. And because Cora there is involved in combination, Olga's the one that has to go there. Almost like we should play Olga as an attacker. Like maybe novel, novel idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but beautiful, beautiful strike from Olga Carmona. That was a high quality goal. And I, I think it was a good chance, but I don't think it was like anywhere near like some insane XG. But if you if you think about the height of that pass, right? So most models won't incorporate it, but stats bomb incorporate passing height into their model, which has affected certain edge cases. I think this would be one of them because it was a volley. So I don't think it was actually that high of a chance. It was just a brilliant finish from Olga on that moment. And Grant, I think you're correct when you say like our only quality possession sequence in the sense that the only one from regular possession play, as I mentioned before, everything just kind of coming from chaotic transitions and just us taking advantage, right? And other way for Sporting Glova, except it's, it's that's something Sporting Glova wants to, they will accept, right? They don't have the capacity necessarily to like string together like something from regular possession play and break a team down. Like they want this type of game where it's like we technically do, right? So. 
I, that was basically the only one for us all game, really. I mean, I don't know. In the, in the second half, there weren't that many chances, but it's possible that I'm forgetting something. But that's basically how the half ended. And I'll give you a chance, Grant, if you want to say anything more about the first half. Uh, I'll just quickly say, like, my immediate thought was, okay, we survived 1-0, changed the goddamn formation, go to 4-3-3, and assume some control over this game and see it out. Okay. That is exactly my thought about the situation. I was at halftime, you know, bring on Teresa and we can hopefully create something or we could pass the game to death. I mean, we, we just didn't play well and we needed to adjust and we didn't until the 80th minute. That's, I mean, this is unforgivable. Like this is war criminal stuff, but if I can say it's even more un- unforgivable, right? Like when you're at half, and you can see how things have gone. And it's just like, make the damn change, right? Like, why are we going to wait that long? But again, Osnar just smiling, nodding after we score that goal and saying, guess what happened, guys? Guess, guess who set us up that way? Guess who, <laughs> guess who has us in the lead? Everyone on Twitter was like, Osnar, where are the subs? Osnar, where are the subs? Osnar, Cambios before. <laughs> like, it's a meme at this point. No, we went into that second half like this is this is the way we're going to play. No changes whatsoever. And I think there was a little more control in that second half, but I think it's I don't think it's anything we did. I just think the natural intensity dropped. Like Sporting Pueblo, we're playing extremely high intensity. It was end-to-end throughout the entire first half. Players had to have been gassed. You don't survive at that intensity for 90 minutes. And Sporting Pueblo were still pressing. It wasn't quite the same, just a little bit easier for us to kind of play in triangles to find Mike Day as a free player at the base and, you know, move up field. But telling that in that environment, all of a sudden, like, where are the chances, right? It wasn't as much. There were moments, right? Set pieces, crosses into the box, but it it was just a little less. And on the flip side, right, less for Sporting Huelva, but not enough that they didn't have counterattacks. We mentioned that by the Ramirez moment, and then obviously they end up scoring. So, Grant, I, I guess where, wherever you want to go in the, the second half, because our pods aren't really that structured, but today it's, it's kind of been like we go wherever you want to go. So take it, take yeah. it however you want to go. So at halftime, tons of players were warming up, which is not something that we normally see unless there's going to be a halftime substitution. So. Osnar got my hopes up, and I should have known better than to, you know, accept naive. that he was going to. Yeah, yeah, it was naivety, honestly. And so he doesn't make the changes. But like you said, we started the half, and we looked better. But slowly and slowly, we, I, we continued to regress back to that kind of end-to-end track meet kind of pattern of play, except this time we were getting Kenty Robles up the pitch more, which basically created the only chances that we had throughout the entire second half, which was Kenty finding either Sofia Jakobsen or Kozavari Aslani in the box with pretty good crosses. They were still tough headers. And honestly, I think that Aslani could have done better with some. I'm not saying she should have scored necessarily, but they were they were opportunities that you expect this team to hopefully put at least a few on target. And we didn't. And I mean we've seen this this game play out a million times over the season we let these teams hang around and they'll eventually score because we aren't putting them under pressure we're not dictating the pace of the game and when you're playing a game of duels they're 50 50 duels for a reason and although you might have 
came out on top in the first half. We didn't in the second half, and the ball eventually falls their way, and they score the goal. So football is a game of high variance no matter what. It's a low-event sport. doesn't matter how good you are. doesn't matter how good coaches you have. So many things are out of your hand, and quote-unquote justice won't always be done. The best team, quote-unquote, whether tactically, whether players-wise, won't always win which is why there's such a high premium on being able to reduce variance. If you think about what good coaching is, I'd put it down to that. It's the ability to reduce variance in your team's favor. Or, and in rarer cases for bigger sides, be able to manipulate variance so that it falls on your side more. So the example of that I mentioned, Liverpool. So if you think about how they approach Manchester City in 1718, it was like putting Oxley Chamberlain in, in central midfield, which like doesn't really make any sense until you realize, you know, the physical nature of that midfield, the fact that Klopp wants to to kind of like make it a little bit of a track meet versus Manchester City. And then he puts in particular players that will win 50-50 duels better. In Oxley Chamberlain's case, right, his dribbling ability driving through midfield would be especially useful in that kind of instance. And he ends up scoring versus City in the first leg, if I'm remembering correctly. So that's one example of it. But usually control variance, reduce variance, because once you do that, what happens? What is then the biggest impact upon the game? It's player quality. So just by doing that, you're basically saying, okay, I've I've put my players in a better advantage to decide the game, which is what good coaching is. It's about optimizing the talent on hand because as manager, you're not the most important person. Out of all of your players that are on the pitch, you are the least important person. So what you, sh- what, what you should be doing is, is optimizing for them and making them play better. How do you control variance? Usually through tactics. So this is, this is what you're kind of talking about, right? Okay, all the fi- this, is, this is the problem with just looking at the result of something in isolation, right? Because you're not thinking about the repeatability of that result. And that's what you were kind of hinting at, Grant. What happens when the ball falls the other way? Because it, it is a bit of a chance element in 50-50s. And it, it, it fell the other way in, in certain moments for, for Sporting Bolova in that second half. And it hurt us. It hurt us real bad. And I would be okay with not scoring in that second half if we had better control of the game and if I didn't feel like sporting always had that ability to counter because the first 20 minutes or so not that much you had like the Maire and Amidez run I can't remember exactly when when that is but that was one moment and then after that you slowly start to see them come back and it, it just kind of felt like it was only a matter of time right because we didn't have the right structure behind us to be able to see it out one nil which okay, if you're not going to be a genius tactician or whatever, just make it a 4-3-3 and give us what has, just by virtue of having that obvious extra player, has allowed us to control games better, but, but he didn't do that, right? It was the same thing until, you know, Sporting ended up scoring. And then by then it was basically too late. Are, are there things you want to touch on before Sporting ended up scoring their goal? I mean, not unless you really want to. I just really saw more of the same after that initial spell at the beginning of the half where we looked like we had control. But then it felt like we just kind of regressed back to what we were doing in the first half and eventually the goal come. Yeah, so what's most disappointing about this goal to me is it wasn't a counterattack really for Sporting Huelva. It was a throw-in on our right-hand side, we had time to set up. We actually won the ball back, and Kasi does good to win it back. And, and what does she do? 
she 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 doesn't try to clear it. She doesn't try to play out on the ground. She tries to loft that channel ball without even putting her head up. This is this is the frustrating thing. This is what you've talked about, Grant, where you're like, it doesn't even look like we try to look for solutions. What is the first thing any of our players want to do? Channel ball. Just that that's how we play out, right? Like, if you're gonna play the channel ball, please look up. But if that was an attempted clearance, it sure didn't look like one, and that should have been put out way better. But there should be a look up to see if there's a short passing option. And if you look at that play, I mean, it was disorganized, right? Kasi may have had the ability to do that. And then when you do that, okay, boot it out of play. Or if you feel like you can loft it over the, the player's head, which is like five yards away from you, go ahead and try that. But it was, I'm just going to put it in there instantly, and it's intercepted. And because of, of how Kasi has kind of come out of that position, because the players next to her think we've won the ball, it was Kenti and Maite, we're not in position to defend the fa- defend a wing combination when we lose the ball. They play it down that left-hand side. It's a ball into the box. Like Defenders are out of place. Bobby Peter comes over late. Claudia's not in position. And it's a goal. In at the near post, scored by Danieli. That was a killer because as, as well as Sporting Club had played, there, there was maybe the inkling that we can hold on, right? Like they've had transition opportunities, but it's not the same as the first half. And then for it to come from like a just regular possession play when we were set up, when they had done really nothing from that all day because it was just going to be uh, just kind of passing out of flanks. Ch- channel ball is kind of similar to what we were doing, except less effective because they have less effective attackers besides Mayra Ramirez on the day. That was disappointing. Like the way Arancha Rodriguez, like the way she gasped when we could see it. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> because like it, it just it looked really bad the way we fell apart there, and it just felt like a gut punch to have like survived and suffered up until that point, and then I just knew it was one one. Like I just, I just knew there was no way we were coming back because I, I don't feel like we had enough at that point, and. Sporting were good. I felt like there was just as much as chance they might get a second as us. So yeah, that sucked. Is there any other way, any other description you want to add to that goal or whatever? No, I mean, then immediately after that, we see Teresa come on for Maite. And then four minutes later in the 84th minute, Jessica comes on for Corradera. And we really don't create all that much in the 81st minute. We have Cardona cross to Aslani and it goes wide. And then 10 minutes later at the like last kick of the game, Aslani kind of turns in the box and fires, but it's saved. And we just never looked like we could get the three points after, after they equalized. Yeah. The three successive corners to end the game, like gave us a little bit of hope, but. Yeah, but wasn't every enough. corner we take goes straight to the goalkeeper. Oh my god, I was so mad. Like, why does every corner kick taker on our team try and score an Olympico? <laughs> it doesn't know, matter man. who it is. It, like, Aslani did it five times today. Teresa comes in and she does the same thing. I was like, guys, we we had we had a we had a decent set piece last game. More of that, please. Like. You don't even give yourself a chance to score if you kick it straight into the keeper's hands every time. But more of the same. A lot of questions, not a lot of answers necessarily. Because, uh, I mean, to be honest, we're not the people in position to make decisions who have the information to be able to answer these questions. All we can do is pose interesting ones and hope that 
it aids your thought process and maybe adding some clarity to kind of what's going on. So yeah, I, I guess another negative podcast, but uh, maybe it's the fact that we're just tired and uh, that that's what happens when you're tired. But uh, I think we're also tired from like a season perspective of having to see the same issues recurring. And we, we don't want to be this way in a season where we're probably going to qualify for the Champions League, where it'll be a monumental achievement, where we're seeing some of the best individual talent on in display on Spain, but uh, no wins in three of four. And in all those performances being outplayed, basically being really poor and having very similar issues throughout all of them. I guess the Real Betis one maybe was more down to just players not showing up more than anything. But this was very, very similar to Madrid CFF loss in in some regards like running running out of excuses and running out of reasons to not be impatient with the tactical progression of the side like moving forward this is the thing i think that holds us back the most aside from certain things like well we don't have a left back you know besides like Ola carmona if you want to counter as a left back we lack depth in the field stuff like that but really i think the ceiling of this team is really being capped by certain tactical things namely inability to control from different structures right like if, it, if it's not a four three three or a dot like it's it's not going to happen for us right because we don't have that we don't have the knowledge and sophistication to be able to, to structure ourselves and have that understanding between players to to be able to to control games and, and that's a big problem moving forward have we arrived at the end or do we want to go over like certain player performances Obviously, we talked about Misa. She needs another shout out, though. It was, we didn't lose this game because of her. I think that is, that was, but we didn't lose, the, we didn't lose the game. I know it felt like it, but we, we no, 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 I know, but I'm saying if, <laughs> if Misa wasn't in goal today, we, yeah, lost. yeah, I, I know, I know, I know, you know I what just, I mean? I, it was an opportunity to have a go at you. I couldn't miss it. <laughs> well, all right, all right. Um, I thought Kasi, other than the, the giveaway that led to the goal was one of our best players. And she looked back. Now we had a chance to rest her, even though she's played every freaking minute of the entire season. And we didn't do that. So <laughs> we'll see if we have the same energized Kasi next weekend. But other than that, I don't think there were that many performances that stood out. Um, I've been working on the player ratings and there aren't many high ratings in this game because I just think as a, as a whole, we did not play well. I think I mentioned Cardona a little bit in the first half. I think she was impressive in the chaos in terms of she had like a number of good box entries, attempted box entries. She had a cross for Aslani that was put wide. She had passed into the box. She received inside well. I mean, she was a terror in transition, similar to the way that Mayra Ramirez was. And then as like things just calmed down slightly, at least in possession for us in the second half, because we were, we were kind of struggling again with our buildup, right? You, you kind of saw her influence deteriorate a little bit, I think, as you did with the rest of the front line. But th- this felt a little bit to me like Cardona had gotten her rhythm back, even though it wasn't like any kind of like amazing performance where she made a huge impact or anything. But she put a long shot like for, with her left foot really close to goal. Like it just kind of felt like, okay, she, she's taking players on. She's receiving inside well, accurate crosses. If we can get uh, the rest of our form back up, play the right formation, lineup, blah, blah, blah. I feel like Cardona's back to, to being able to make differences in these types of games, whereas I felt like, you know, to varying degrees, these last three games, it wasn't the real her. And, and maybe like another time in, in earlier in the season, despite playing like shit, she could have won us the game. So 
I, I, I'm not a huge sample size, maybe picking at straws a little bit here, but she, I, I thought like in those minutes, there was something about that, that told me, okay, moving forward. I, I, I think like she, she's going to go back to being our best player. Well, it was great to see her even start today because I believe it was last game where she came off at halftime with a little injury. So it was good to see that she, she's healthy because we're going to need her down the stretch, especially if we're going to play like this because she's someone who can create out of nothing and score absolute worldies, which she came close to a few times today. And it was literally just hope that Cardona can pull something absolutely spectacular out because there's not really a way forward without her is that all we have to say about the game i think it is okay so quick note or i guess quick update for for people who didn't watch or weren't aware some of the boys were at the game watching outside through the fence it was an all brazilian crew it was casemiro militao marcelo rodrigo was i don't i don't remember if vinicius was there maybe he was there as well i think it was all of them yeah it was all of them they are watching the game. I think the last time they, they watched was versus Atleti when we lost. Like, I'm really happy that they're showing up. But, like, you know, if you're a superstitious person, I don't know. Like, two, two times where they show up, two times where we don't win. I'd like them to be there when we fucking win for once instead of, instead of having to watch that. But it's good to see them show up when they have the time. And I hope one day, like, the entire squad can show up and watch one of their games. That would, that would be really cool. But it's nice to see them show up. And, and take take an interest in their counterparts, in their teammates. Like we are, we are like one entire institution. We're all striving for success in kind of the same way. There was a basketball player there as well. I'll fall around with Balancesto, so I don't even remember his name. But there was one. I don't. I don't remember whether he was Brazilian or not. But uh, I think he was actually sitting in like the stands or something. Or he. I don't know. He was sitting somewhere yeah, well, else, and he was like. Hopefully we can get both the basketball team and the men's soccer team at the game where we can clinch the Champions League qualification spots. That would be, I mean, that'd be the, that'd be the dream, right, of the whole season. That would be pretty awesome and a special moment for the entire club. That would, that would be really fun. Uh, but a long way to go, especially with performances like these. We, Absolutely. We to... It'll knock on some wood right now. <laughs> right, let's... Yeah, let's let's think about the next game, the next game, and then and then we'll get to that point and, and we'll see what happens there. So quick updates in terms of the UEFA Women's Champions League. I was not able to watch these games with like the same intensity as I did last time, partly because the fucking schedule is horrendous. Barcelona played PSG at exactly the same time as Real Madrid Fenonino were playing. And then half an hour into both games, Chelsea Bayern was started. So yeah, I mean to, to schedule it so early. It's, we know it's not a good time because they do not schedule the UEFA Men's Champions League at these times. They schedule it at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, not 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So that instantly tells you that they're not scheduling it at the best moments, right? But if you're going to do that, what, what on earth is the reason to have the two games overlap? Makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, right? It's not even like, oh, we have a primetime slot here, right? Like, we need to stuff both of them in there. No, that's not what's happening here. So, yeah, some idiocy going on there, but uh, I was able to catch some of the Chelsea Bayern game. I didn't watch it that intensely, but uh, Chelsea won 4 1. So, I should have said Barcelona defeated Paris Saint Germain 2 1. One on aggregate 3 2. They're through to the final. Chelsea beat Bayern 4 1. So, a 5 3 aggregate win. It's going to be a Barcelona-Chelsea final. I just will say that 
the four one scoreline is a bit flattering to Chelsea. I do think they were the better side on the day, but slightly they ended up, you know, like a, some, a little bit of fortune with, I think two of their goals, the middle two goals. And then they ended up scoring the fourth, basically when Bayern had sent their keeper all the way up, right. Desperate times in, in injury times. And basically there was Fran Kirby who was able to counter and score in an open goal. And so I, Chelsea did enough. They were they were good on the day, but it, it was kind of a it was a kind of a tight contest, and it maybe would have gone by its way. Zadrazil scored an absolute screamer in the 29th minute to get Bayern back in the game because Chelsea opened the scoring. If you haven't seen that goal, please go see it. It's one of the best goals I've seen all season, and I guess at that point Bayern felt pretty good about themselves, though they'd eventually get knocked out. Emma Hayes had a really touching interview afterwards where she just kind of let all her emotions come out. And just, I mean, she was just honest, right? Like, this is the moment that she's been waiting for all her life and all the work that she's been putting in with Chelsea to try to get them to this moment. Barcelona versus Chelsea will be an incredible final. And they may be the best football match of this season. My opinion, Barcelona's slight favorites, but Chelsea are that type of opponent who can morph into anyone. And if you're not perfect versus them, they have the differential talent up front to make you pay, right? Sam Kerr, Bernal Harder, Fran Kirby, though, funnily enough, Sam Kerr had a one versus one at the end of the game that she missed. But uh, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like dare her to, to miss again. I wouldn't put her in that situation and dare her to miss again. Process versus versus results, right there. That's 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 how I look at things. So fantastic final. I think May sixteenth. Yeah, it's May sixteenth. Uh, May sixteenth, and I'll be looking. I think to do like some kind of tactical preview for that. So if anyone listening right now is interested. In Femenino football beyond Real Madrid, something I guess to look out for. And uh, I don't think we'll do like a podcast on it or anything, but I'm sure we'll discuss a little bit of it at, at, at some pod that we have because I know it'll be of interest to some of you. Yeah. And it's, it's extremely exciting too because I think you can make an argument that these are the two best teams in Europe at the moment. And a lot of the times in these kind of finals where there's draws, you don't necessarily get the two best teams going at it. And these are two very, very good teams with high-powered offenses. Uh, it's it's going to be a really, really fun game. Real Madrid looking ahead. Our next game is right by Cano. Madrid Derby. It's 7 a.m. So I, we get we'll an take extra. It. We'll take it. <laughs> we get an extra hour. We cannot afford to do what we did today again. So Raya Vallecano, Abar will... We know the type of team they are, right? Like if we talk about struggling versus pressing, they really made things tough for us earlier in the season. That's not going to be an easy game. You know, not to say like Brian will necessarily be easy, but at this stage in the season, three points is a must next game. We cannot do what we did today. It's Ibar, then that's Athletic, and then comes the huge game versus Real Sociedad. Then Santa Teresa and Granadilla Tenerife. And Granadilla Tenerife is not really going to be an easy game either. So those games where we, we where we like expect to to get results wins so that we can maybe slip up versus bigger teams those are starting to shrink now and it's every all everything has to come right like margin for error getting smaller and smaller and no excuses next next week it has to be three points we have to win no matter what and uh, i assume that is probably what osnar will be telling his girls even though <laughs> we have lots of questions about what he's telling them and not telling them, I assume he will be doing that much at least. And the gals will go in with a little bit more fire because 
I think they know what's on the line. They know all they've sacrificed for this season and they're, they're not going to want to throw it all away. Right. They want this more than we do. We can criticize as much as we want, but no one probably takes this result harder than them. And I'd like to see how that motivation feels them going forward. Absolutely. All right, Grant, thanks so much for doing this with me and uh, Ala Madrid. Absolutely, Ala Madrid.